Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord. 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 all night Sunday Central. Follow me now. Listen, say hi, Dick. Get your rolling hip hop. Say Jay Roll, just your rolling hip hop. Hey, hey, hey. Who's Columbus. Well, I think we'll get a little action now. Most Def, Talib Master Ace, Diamond D, Slum Village, J Life. Just some of the artists my next guest has collaborated with. He's J Rawls, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Monaco. Thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Tim. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, trying to survive COVID living, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> Quarantine life. Quarantine life. But, you know, it's doing well. Doing well. Um, <laughs> So you know, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned this prior to talking to you, but you know, Brown Skin Lady off uh, most Seven Talib Kweli's Black Star album is my favorite track. Uh, wow! But reading up on how that happened for you, it, it it's fascinating to me because prior to that, it seems like you only, I think, only had one production credit to your name or something like that. And yes, so so what was happening? I guess prior to 1998, prior to Brown Skin Lady, for you, musically, were you, I mean, was that like hardcore pursuing it? Were you like, you know, doing a lot of people working like a record shop or working at a store while trying to do it secondary? What were you doing prior to 1998 in Ohio? I was at University of Cincinnati. I was in college. Um, actually graduated in 97. So, um, graduated in 97 and then went to LA to record Brown Skin Lady in September of 97. So that's, that's how it went. But prior to all of that, I was, um, I mean, a, a college student, you know, just working, um, had a job and I was, um, making beats. All I did was make beats, do homework and go to work. And I used to do music all the time. And I ended up working with a lot of people around Cincinnati. Um, a lot of them became pretty big and famous, but at the time we were all just, you know, just young guys making music, you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, Mood, um, Jay Sands, um, the five D's. So fat John, pace rock, Kyle, David, all those guys. Um, this guy named hood guy named dose one, you know, we were, we were just doing a lot of music and, and it was just fun. It was just something we did because we enjoyed it. There was no money. There was nothing, there was nothing like that, you know, um, and 
through mood, I ended up meeting Kwali because Kwali would take the Greyhound bus out to Cincinnati to work with, um, we used to call him Lil T at the time, but you know him as high tech. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So he used to come out to work with Tone and uh, they were just making magic. It was just some beautiful music. And we were just all like, wow, you know, this is a big deal. And um, uh, basically, uh, Kwali just had those New York connects because he was from Brooklyn. Right. So he ended up, uh, you know, letting the uh, Brian and Jared from Raucous hear uh, Fortify Live in 2000 seasons. And they asked they asked him to do a 12 inch. So that was the first time I was like, oh, wow, this is real. So they they did that 12 inch. And at the same time, me and Dose One, Dose, um, his first record called Hemispheres, me, him, Mr. Dibbs, um, guy named Hood and Fat John. Um, we pretty much all of us produced his first album, the three of us. And um, that record, man, I, I've seen it on eBay for crazy, stupid prices. And I'm like, wow. But that was um, my first piece of vinyl was Dose One's record. Uh, Dose just managed to get it pressed up. And, uh, you know, that was a big deal, like having this stuff on vinyl. And then the next thing I know, um, prior to 2000 Seasons and Fortified Live, Tone had um, uh, High Drama by Mike Zoop. And that was his, I think that was his first vinyl, that and then Royal Flush. Because I remember him bringing it over. A friend of ours used to have a store in Cincinnati. He brought it to the store and played his vinyl. And we were all like, whoa. So all of this really kind of happened in the same vicinity. And it just it just kind of blew up from there. And, and so it just kind of started happening. It, we, we were on the cusp of a revolution, but we really didn't know. You know what I mean? So right. it, it was it was a great time. It was probably the best times of my life. That's crazy. I mean, you, all those artists you just mentioned and records, it's like, I mean, for me, you know, like Midas, you know, all those guys, it's like, it's just, those, those are such an impact on, you know, what the quote unquote underground hip hop yeah. scene was like, right? I mean, you know, I, in college, I went to Ithaca College and, mm-hmm. um, I was a political science major starting out, but that's because I thought I could like go four years with being able to figure out how to bullshit my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I heard, heard the most deaf and tell of these black star album. And I was like, I must play this for the masses. <laughs> uh, and then I did a whole quote, unquote underground hip hop show. So, you know, got introduced to all more and more, all you guys. Uh, and then the record you just pointed out, I was like, Oh my God, those are all the records I played on my show. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and, and you just mentioned you guys didn't realize how, impactful it would be no clue so what was the i mean at that time what do you think the the i guess I mean, you mentioned the love of music but the, the goal the goal were for all you guys in terms of creating these records the goal i think the goal was like anybody making music was just for people in the world to hear it you know you never know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen but we really we just enjoyed making music. I remember going to Little T Studio or Jocelyn from Mood and just watching them because they had big studios at the time and I didn't. Um, so just going to their studio, we would just go and sit and hang all day, that kind of thing, you know, and we were just making music. It was just fun to do, like do, you know, cats would make beats and somebody would come with some lyrics and whoever had the fire lyrics, that's what went on it. You know, it was just it was just fun times and it was it was it was more of an innocence because it's before all the money and the, the politics and before all of that stuff happened. It was just 
young kids making music. Hmm. I want to uh, musically for you. I mean, prior to while you're making this music, what are you what are you listening to? What is what is what are those influences that you have growing up as you know kid in Cincinnati? Uh, what you I mean, also what drew you to? Because uh, I know you have a I mean, reading up your your array of music. Uh, influences go from all these, you know, different sorts of genres. It's not just hip hop, right? Um, right? So, what made you say, "All right, hip hop is going to be my, 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 my media, my, my, my way of expressing myself"? Well, I think because I was a hip hop kid, we just we grew up in the culture. You know, it didn't start out like that. I mean, my first record I ever bought was a, a, a Kiss record. You know? know, yeah. So I was into Kiss. I was into Sha Na Na. I was just a lover of music growing up, but like Rapper's Delight was cool, but it was like a novelty song. Right. Like Curtis Blow, like The Breaks, and then then like what really kind of turned me over was uh, Planet Rock, Africa Bambada. Oh, wow. Nice. Like when that kind of, like that whole Tommy Boy Globe and the Wiz Kids and Pac Jam, the Johnson Crew, all of that kind of just was like, yo, this is a this is there's something about it and um you know we were hip-hop kids and by the time the movie beach street came out we were trying to you know b-boy and break dance and all that stuff so it was just a part of who we were i think what really did it for me was you know i, I started out as a beatboxer and then from there i did um um, I started to rap a little bit, but I never liked my voice. I got a higher pitch voice. I don't really sound like I'm hard. You know, hip hop, you got to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, um, you know, I did a lot of the beatboxing for the crew, for the people on my neighbor, in my neighborhood on Eldor. And then, um, you know, my, 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 my dude Buka was a, our DJ, but my dad had a whole bunch of records. And that's kind of where I grew up listening to Earth, Wind & Fire, Temptations, wow. Jackie Wilson. You know, I grew up listening to all that. So I knew all of that music. So one day we're down in the basement. This is like 87, early 87 or so, mm -hmm. or something like that. It had just came out. Whenever You Guys to Chill by EPMD had just come out. And we put on a song called Jungle Boogie by Coolin' the Gang, me and Buka down in the basement. And we heard that sample, we lost our minds. Wow. And that was 80, late 87 or sometime in 87. That's all I remember. And we stayed up the whole night looking for different samples. And we put this, the drums and anything that we heard we liked, we put on a cassette tape. And we called those our sample tapes. I still got them to this day. We called them our... So we were making like those sample tapes so we could listen to different samples. And then we started taking those records and we didn't have any equipment so Buka would back to back them or blend them or like we went to a little record store because I'm from Columbus so there was a little record store in our neighborhood called Robert's Records mm -hmm. and we would go there and you know I'll be honest we would buy the records but we had a couple friends who would boost so we, we got we got a couple records <laughs> <laughs> that's how I got a lot of my James Browns but you know, we would get the records and we would, that's how we would make, you know, do our beats and rap and do our songs. And this is prior to having any equipment because this is all 88, 80, you know, 89. Um, and then that's, that's how we did it. We did it like that for years. And then in 93 or so, 92, 93, I got introduced to the Insonic EPS 16 plus. And I started messing around with that and was, you know, kind of tinkering a little bit, but I never had my own. A friend of mine named Greg Bang 
had it in Sonic ASR 10. So that was the next generation. And I got to play with that. And that was it. It was over. I fell in love. I, I convinced my mom to to uh, help me finance it. She, she she signed for it, but I had to pay the bill. <laughs> nice. and, and this is like by 94. So I was in college and um, that was it. I started making beats pretty much every day in 1994. And, you know, based off of the sample tapes from 88, 89, 90, you know, that's why when, when drums come on or somebody samples something, I know what it is because I've been doing this. I've been yeah. digging since 88, you know. And, and the thing is, I'm influenced by, you know, digging in the crates, showing AG, um, Diamond D, Pete Rockin' in, in um, Premier. Like anybody who was digging and chopping and sampling and making beats, to me, that's hip hop. And that's what that's what we did. What was the, you mentioned your mom uh, helping you get that, uh, the equipment, but what was the, I mean, what was, oh, I guess, what was the support system for you? Like, um, you know, I mean, was, was it like, all right, you could maybe, you know, like, well, you know, automatically did your mom think like, all right, you could probably have a career out for this. Or was this more of her looking at like just supporting like what she thought might've been just a hobby for you? I mean, I think, I think they thought of it as a hobby They, you know, because I was in college. So the point was to go to school and I was in business college. So the point was to go to school and get a, um, you know, degree and get a job and probably work in business and finance like my mom and dad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, this was just fun. It was, it was something I, I love. So it was my hobby. Um, it, it became something more after the Black Star and that kind of stuff. And then after, you know, our deal with Bud's distribution and then we started with Groove Attack and we started, um, touring the world. That, that's where we saw that, whoa, this is, this is a big deal because hip hop was everywhere. It was worldwide. Mm. I want to ask you about the uh, the brown skin lady uh, track, and I think it's an interesting conversation. To have. I mean, I think it's an interesting song to have because what it is, it's like it's really a track about um, you know uh, black women's empowerment uh, and what that means. What why was a track like? Why did you feel a track like that at that time uh, was important? Uh, and still is important, I think, until this day. And what was that conversation like with uh, Talib and Mos um, about the purpose of this track, and how? And then, how did you come up with, obviously, the beat for it? Well, the beat was just uh, meant to be an interlude. It was just something I made that was just uh, fun because it had a lot of changes, a lot of twists and turns. So I didn't, I never expected anybody to rap over that beat, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave Kwali and most of a beat tape, you know, and it was just um, a bunch of beats on it. But that little interlude, they loved. And and it was most who it came up with the chorus. And, and I remember, you know, it was like a week or so after I gave him the beats. Um, Kwali called me on the phone. He, he had most in the background and most were singing brown skin lady. Where you going? And he was like, yo, this song really, this beat really speaks to us, man. Can you make it longer so that we can, you know, start writing? And then that's, that's what I did. I made it longer for him. Um, but it was for them. For, I, I, I just remember Kwali saying that he, he had never heard a song talking about brown skinned women. You know, there's a lot about light skin and, you know, red bone and this and that, right? But nothing about that brown lady, that, that, 
that melanin, you know, that's beautiful too. And and for me, that song was revolutionary because there was nothing like that. There was nothing. Nobody was talking about anything like that at the time. And I think that's why it resonates with so many people. And, and the music just kind of, you know, it just kind of helps make it come to life. And, and to me, you know, most deaths uh, singing the chorus that that's I mean, and that's where it all came from, because most songs, at least in my experience, they start from the chorus, man. The chorus is what motivates you to keep going. So they came with that chorus first and then they wrote the lyrics. that song I mean obviously Talib Kali and, and Mostef their their voices themselves are so unique and, and, and you, you hear them you, and you know exactly you know you hear them on anything you, you know exactly who's talking um, especially when you mentioned Most having a, this great ability to, to sing um, as well as rhyme um as a as a producer, what is what is that approach when you're when you have these two artists that uh, their their voice does a lot to the for the beat, you know, like you don't have to you feel like maybe feel like you don't have to add anything extra to you know enhance their voices because or enhance the beat because they're going to do that for you. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. You know, it's, as a producer, it always feels good to work with an artist that you don't really have to do much with. Um, you know, in my younger days at that time, I wasn't really that good as being a producer. I was still learning. So I would have people come over and rap and then we would listen to the song later and it just wasn't sounding right. And it's because I didn't produce it. It has to be produced. You got to help the artist, the rapper or whatever, you know, say it a certain way or inflect their voice or do cadence or something like that. And and I didn't really have to do that with, with Dante and Kwali. So it was um, it was a good experience. So what happened? So 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 you know did 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 the out did, did that song and did that feel? Did you guys at the time feel like it made the the impact that you were hoping it would make at the time? Uh, did you have to wait later to kind of get that the full the full feel of what? the purpose of that song was um it probably did come later i mean it's it's one of the songs that's lasted the longest i mean people tell me all the time it's one of their favorites i hear that more often than i don't and um you know it was the very first song we ever did for the album so it was the first song so it, it's special it's special you know so so you know so that that the, the Black Stars album drops. Obviously, you have this uh, incredible track to your name. Uh, w- what happened after for you? What was the? I mean, did 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 the door just you know blast right open? And no, or, it, it, did, it didn't blast, but it started to slowly creak. It was more of like because he said my name on because I was the second song they recorded was Definition. Mm-hmm. So when he was in the booth, he could see high tech AU ruling hip hop. Say Jay Raw, Jay Rule him. I was we were both standing right there watching him rap. That's why he said our names. Right. So, you know, it was kinda like that alone got me our first distribution deal for Lone Catalyst. 
and that's kind of what did it. We we went to um, Brooklyn for New Year's Eve on 1998, um, going into 99, and we recorded. Um, we recorded Due Process on New Year's Day, 1999, and that song did more for Lone Catalyst in my career because it started, it, it got us out there. You know, of course, Quali was hot at the time, so it was like anything he touched, people wanted. So that record started selling, and then that's how we got involved with Groove Attack. And I, you know, I did my first album, The Essence of J. Rawls, and you know, that's kind of where it went from there. Just kept going. At the same time, living in life, giving in like it meant, see it out for the blind, through the darkness of the industry, we ministry. I want to actually talk about the, the, the essence of J. Rawls. Uh, you dropped it in 2001. Um, how did you want... I mean, this is like your first solo solo album, right? Um, how how did you want this to be kind of the, the, the... I guess it would be the table setter for you as an artist. Uh, what did you want it to... What did you want it to say to not just your fans, but also the people that are, were going to start... Let's hear you for the first time. You know, for me, the essence of J. Rawls... Um, it's a combination of me working with all of the people I was working with at the time. So everybody on that album are people I was doing work with way before that album came out. You know, um, from Dose One to Fat John to Home Skillet to, of course, Jay Sands to, I mean, just Jay Live. Like, these are people I had started working with, Asheru, and just... And like just doing music with and, and just talking to on a regular basis. Like, so for me, I just wanted it to kind of give a little taste of different feels of J. Rawls and have, you know, different types of artists. You know, I got Chicago with All Natural. I got um, Atlanta with Mass Influence. You know, in New York, I had DC represented. So it was, it was a lot um, of me giving people different feels with you know different j rawls beats because once once i did that album people came at me for beats and i think that's what i tell a lot of young producers do an album with different mcs let let people hear different artists and singers and whatever over your beats i mean i don't know if people have quite noticed how i worked my career but i've done rap albums i've done soul albums and i've done jazz like so i i set myself into a category of yo he can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that so i have a i've got christian sing rappers coming at me i've got christian singers you know just different people want a little taste because they know i can kind of tailor it to them i want to ask you about the the track uh uh lg featuring um uh rubik's uh, I, for, as just a fan listening, uh, I think what really stands out about that track is that um, the beat is quote unquote slowish, I guess you know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Rubik's raps like quote unquote fast on yeah, the track. He um, always did. How did that work? I mean, how does that work? How did, how did you how did you know that this was the beat that Rubik's rapping fast on would you know would would be a perfect compliment to real talk Rubik's picked that you know Rubik's and Kwali were best friends so that's how I met him um and he was just just one of them kind of dudes just mad cool um and and his flow was so distinct because he always rapped faster because I don't know if you noticed but Kwali rapped fast at least right. in the early days he, he did that and I think all of their whole crew all of them guys did that Juju um Kwali 
Ruby, like their whole, their little friend clique. And so, um, I didn't know that that would be the perfect beat, but it sounded like something Rubik's could rip. Right. And I, I sent it to him, and that's the first beat he picked. Like, he was on it ASAP. He killed it. Put him through the trial of fire to sanitize him. And if they resist, we downsize them. Corporate merge, then neutralize them. Yo. The Great Live Caper features uh, Jay Live, and as I mentioned, we went to high school together, so I have yeah, to ask yeah. about this. Uh, Jay, Jay's, uh, I think, an incredible artist, DJ, producer. Um, can you talk about that collaboration? But also, I, I think what's important also of this track is that the scratches on it. Yeah. Um, for you, uh, if you are, even if you want to tackle this first, but what is the importance of the scratch for you on any record? Well, the scratches is representative of the, the DJ. All of this starts with the DJ. And to me, people can't forget that. I, I don't, you know, I hate when I go to a, a show and there's just, there's no controller, there's no DJ, there's no guy there that's controlling the party. You know, it's like, yo, y'all taking that one of the most important elements out of hip hop, man. So for me, the DJ is most important. So the cuts represented that. And, and Jay Live suggested that because he is an incredible DJ. Um, and he, he did the cuts and he killed it because at the time I still hadn't, you know, gotten really good at cuts and everything because, um, I didn't really pick up into DJing until like 95 and I just, I slowly gained, uh, you know, got into it because I kind of needed to. And, um, you know, it was, it was just J lives put the cuts in there and just made it, made it special. But yeah, you, you gotta have the DJ represented. It's an important part of hip hop. Um, so what I like to do is a little insight to how I try to approach interviews. I try to listen to as much of the music as the artists I'm talking to. Nice. And I feel like uh, something they say, something they do, or you know, a lyric they might spit kind of get, gets me the question that I want. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk to you about uh, 2011, the uh, album Hip Hop Effect. Yeah. Um, I think what you do at uh, the first or... I think it's a, sorry, I was driving. So I think it's the second track at the end where you 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 list uh, the best producers on the mic. Oh yeah, uh, and I so I want to kind of throw some of those names out to you and kind of like get like your quick. You know, it doesn't have to be like long. Like, sure. You know, uh, of why those names. So let's start out with um, a Diamond D. Diamond D. Um, you know, I just talked to Diamond probably last week. Diamond D is probably like I told you. You got to understand. I come from the sample based hip hop, so. If you sample bass, then digging in the crates is in your repertoire. You know what I'm saying? So show, Showbiz and Diamond D are like two of the gods when it comes to making beats for me. So what I loved is Stunts, Blunts and Hip Hop, his very first album. He was rapping over his beats and he made it sound like heaven. Um, and I was just like, yo, he's one of my favorite MCs. And I didn't even realize it until I just noticed, yo, you keep bumping this album. But Diamond is an incredible lyricist and, and he made the beat. So that was so dope to me. So it was always a concept I had. And that's why, you know, I tried to honestly, I could have did like best producer on the mic part 12. Like right. there's, so, there's so many dudes that I'm a fan of. They make beats and they can rap really well. Um, so getting Diamond on there, getting um, Ono. Oh, my God. Ono is one of the greatest. You know, he's he's incredible to me. Um, you know, knots. So just, it's just a lot of, um, oh, Kev Brown. Oh my goodness. One of the dopest rap. Like I love to hear Kev rap his, his cadence, his flow. It's just, yo. And then of course the beats, I don't even need to mention that. 
Well, if you talk about uh, if you can, I mean, you know, and, and I know he's talked about a been he's getting his due more so now. I feel uh, there's uh, but Jay Dilla. I mean, talk about kind of the the impact you feel if he's had on you as an artist. Dilla changed everything. You know that shirt. Dilla changed my life. Yeah. Anybody you know producing hip hop from that sample base aspect, Jay Dilla changed their life because of his swing, his drums, how his music hits, um, the way it's EQ, the way it's you know mixed, everything about how Dilla did music. He was a he he was just the next level, and you know he probably is probably you know the greatest producer man. I mean I. I He's really one of my favorites, period, you know, just like and I think part of it is, you know, when you are when you dig because I dig in the crates probably almost every week I go somewhere and go digging. And when I find a new Jay Dilla sample and hear how he flipped it, it just it never ceases to amaze me. So, yeah, Dilla is incredible. Uh, can you talk about uh, Q-Tip in terms of him as a producer? As a ah, you must have done some research because <laughs> Q-Tip is probably one of my favorite producers and um, he is oh man Tip, Tip produced some of the songs it, it, like we just said like the songs I loved and I didn't realize it you know you think of like Push It Along you think of Footprints you think of um, the, the whole Mob Deep first album all them joints on there like Tip is one of my favorite producers like I would love to just sit and, and go digging with him <laughs> on the album uh uh, the hip hop effect, uh, the track "Face It," which features uh, Wise Intelligent and Sadat X, um, you say this. You turn to Sadat and say, "We gotta let young people know what it is, what hip hop is." Yeah. You see, this new hip hop, it, it don't cost you no thought, it don't spread no knowledge, it don't give them nothing, man. But it's up to us to give them that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding. Oh, uh, that was 2011. So, talk about what, what was, what were you hearing in hip hop at that time that kind of made you make this statement and then for you what i guess that's the question i should ask you earlier but what what is the purpose of hip-hop for you and what has it become for you hip-hop for me is it's a little bit of everything it's it should be fun it should be educational it should be partying it should be you know whatever you make of it but what i i just wasn't seeing at the time and and there's still there's still some issues some things we got to work on but i just wasn't seeing a lot of people um using hip hop as the a conduit for 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 you know some like we got black lives matter and we got all this right now right and then you know you get the 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 young boy just made that the song the big picture the bigger picture or whatever and that's what we should have more of we should have we should have cuz when i was growing up we had public enemy you know, but then you'd have digital underground, you know, you, you got NWA talking about how it is in the streets, but then, you know, you got De La Soul or something that's just having fun. Like you, you can have a variety. And I think my issue is just the, the radio and the commerciality of it. They only push one side of it. So young people growing up only see that side and that's all they expect to hear. They don't want to, you know, hear the other sides and you need your public enemies. You need your, um, X clans, you need you need that you need that stuff. So that's that's what I was talking about. Uh, do you think? I mean, you know, we're we're in a we're in a. It's interesting because I think we're in this we're just we're in this age, right? Where 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 obviously hip hop is the number one genre out there, right? Uh, so the oh the assumption would be, I think, for any fan or listener to be like, well, it, it's the number one genre out there. Um, doesn't that mean that the artist has the most control over his or her content? 
Um, is that not the case? Or if it is the case, then why do you think it's really just pushing this one side? It's not the case. I mean, the the big hip hop is so commercial. It's it's become pop culture. So it's not the case because anytime you have corporations or whatever that come into the into play, they are thinking about the bottom line. So what's going to sell is is wet and gushy going to sell or is knowledge itself going to sell? Right. So we're going to sell wet and gushy because that's what's selling. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because you to me, you need songs like wet and gushy and hip hop. That's what hip hop is. You need some raunchiness, you know, but after you play wet and gushy, then, you know, we should get a nice Kendrick Lamar or something or a J. Cole. You know what I'm saying? Like we should get the bigger picture. You, You know, we should get we should get. It should be a mixture. It should be both. Like, let's 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 allow both. Let's allow all of it because it's all relevant. It's all hip hop. Uh, another, you know, another artist you've, uh, I mean, actually, the artist you've collaborated, which I really appreciate, is, uh, you know, Elder Sensei, Lights, Camera, Action. Whew, uh, this is uh, another incredible MC that when he brings, you know, everything you've I've heard him do, you you could tell he just brings his pen game to it. Um, so with an artist like that, when you're creating a beat for him, uh, is there anything that like, is there more pressure on yourself, but also is there anything that just like won't work for him because it just, you know, it will clash with his voice or just the sound won't sound right? Nah, I mean, I, I let, I let uh, artists, veteran artists like L, I let him decide. It's kind of funny you mentioned L because uh, me and him are completing our album. Me and L are doing an album. You do, you're probably the first one to hear it, so... You, you 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 heard it here first. <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, he's um he's actually working. He's going to be coming out here in the next couple of weeks to Ohio to just sit and chill and work on the record. Um, but beats for L are going to be boom bap. You know what I'm saying? Like L is L is one of them guys. Like that's my bread and butter. That's what I know. So it's kind of easy working with L. I'm almost cheating. <laughs> How did this? Uh, I mean, what's the? Uh, how did the? The? I mean, obviously, you guys been working together for a while, but how did this? The idea of like having creating this album now, like why now? Uh, especially, especially now. I'm sorry, especially now during like we're in a pandemic, right? So yeah, it's like, it's and, and that's why it's something we started years ago. So we we've got songs already that just haven't come out, um, but we we want to really finish it and sit and build together. And the pandemic is just, that's what we were talking about. It's just going to give us a, enough time to just sit and actually build and do this work. So that's kind of the plan right there. We talked, we talked about, um, using hip hop to spread knowledge, right. And empowerment and, and, and also balance. Um, and you know, what's interesting is that when, you know, we know, when a lyricist does that, we could hear that in their voice. But how do you and hear that in their words? But as a producer with instrumentals and beats and samples, how do you try to spread that knowledge and balance? Hmm. I think primarily just with the different things that I sample or whatever I add in, I try to add instruments. You know, not necessarily synthesizers and stuff like that, but real instruments. I'm a big fan of the Rhodes, Defender Rhodes. Um, the Wurlitzer, like I want to bring something in that's just going to make the beat, you know, feel like the 70s, real talk. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you've had this incredible career where you, I feel like you've continued to, you continue to work with artists that just continue to make themselves better or get better. Uh, and they always, 
and, and no matter what age they are or how long they're doing it, they haven't. They don't sound like they're burnt out at all on the track, right? And and uh, an artist you've you've you know you've worked with and who I think is just like you know any project he's put out lately has just been amazing and you know and just just tells a story is a masterpiece. Um, you know, you did the track Bills with him. Was that track, was that a track that was originally meant for him? Uh, I mean, how did that kind of, with Ace in mind, I guess, but how did that kind of track go together? And then how did you know that he would be kind of perfect with this track? Um, you never know, you know. Um, that's a track that I fell in love with from my dude, Bombeardo, who's an incredible producer. Um, and that beat was just, it was so hard. I needed somebody just, you know, I wanted somebody kind of, uh, who could tell a story you know I'm talking about bills I'm talking about everyday life you know and I think Ace just exudes that Ace is just one of the most regular famous people I ever met <laughs> you know I mean he, he's just such a good dude so he, he just fit and I was so happy when he agreed to do it he knocked it out he's that dude you know we got bills to pay here come the mail man Ace Trying to get my hands on the gang of greenery Upgrade my life a bit, change my scenery It's hard to explain what this game do mean to me The rap ain't all that they claim it seem to be Now I don't mean to focus on the cream but a few more drops in the bucket get me closer to my dream And that bucket there is nowhere's near full You got an hour or two, I can give you an earful you Gotta be careful like I solemnly swear over Cause bills come every couple of days like hair growth Cell phone, house phone, mortgage, all that when you you know you you know you, we talked about male artists, but you've also obviously collaborated with female artists as well. I mean, you know, you did uh, you helped produce a, an entire female hip hop group, uh, Hearsay. Yeah. Um, what was? I, I feel like at it was 2015, but sadly at that time, kind of daring in a way of doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it was. Um, what what made you kind of say you know f that daring crap and just you know, rip the bandaid off and do it. Uh, and then also, how did something like this come together with these incredible artists? Uh, this was this was DJ Buka that kind of put all this together. Um, he was managing Dominique LaRue, a Columbus rapper at the time. And she, um, she was dope. She got approached by Moni. I don't know how Moni found her, but Moni was putting together, a, she wanted to do a female group um, to, to do an album. And... Uh, Buka told Moni like yo you should have Jay Rawls do it and I had never met Moni at the time but we talked we had so many people in common like Razkaz like Elder Sensei um, so we found out oh okay we know the same people and this kind of thing so we were um, just building and I sent music and that was it she was in love so the girls just all started working and they was doing their stuff and then we brought them out here for a week and they all came and did work here in Columbus in the studio. And uh, that's how we finished the album. Did a video, a couple videos, and, uh, you know, just made it happen. I mean, it was definitely, like you said, daring, but it was, it, it just made sense for us. I don't, I don't really, I didn't see it as daring at the time. It was just, they were all dope MCs. It didn't matter that they were female. You know what I'm saying? And was it? That, that's what, no, nah, I'm just saying that's, that's what was important. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, was there an impact that you all wanted to make, or was it not even like? I mean, was it you know, was it one of those? Was it approach where 
we're just making a hip hop album, not we're making a female hip hop album. Yeah, it was. It was definitely making a hip hop album, not a female hip hop album. But we we did want um, to get more notice. But I think you know part of it is like you said, they're female, so it didn't really get noticed as much as I wish it could have. Um, you know, and and. I think if, if people would go back and listen to the Heresy album, I think they would be thoroughly impressed because a lot of the, the Black Lives Matter stuff, everything, we were talking about it then. Like, right. it's all in there. I mean, you, you, so I, I think what's great about the album is that you're not just talk about... Um, uh, social awareness and social empowerment stuff. You also do this. Uh, I think the track "Hip Hop" uh, an ode to Mighty RSC, yeah, uh, which is great because it's uh, you know it's ode to the hip hop elements. Um, you know, I think we're obviously at this time where the MC is the let's say the quote unquote representative of hip hop, right? Uh, and that's the one people that's the one people people know MC, you know. The MC is an element of hip hop, even if they don't know the elements of hip hop. Uh, so, what is? But for you, if you had a choice, right, of what should be the representative of hip hop, would it be the MC or would it would it be another element? Um, I, pretty, I think I answered that earlier, man. It's all about the DJ. Yes, of course, yes. DJ. It's, it's, I mean, there's nothing else to even say. DJ, 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 DJ. It all starts with the DJ. It all ends with the DJ. Uh, before we move on from the project, was there a uh, kind of a highlight for you uh, in studio working with the group? Uh, was there something that kind of you also wish you might have done differently or maybe better? Well, the highlight was when um, my verse called Crazy Legs and I got to speak to Crazy Legs on the phone. I think that was the highlight. We actually, they caught that on video and put that on YouTube. It's on YouTube. My reaction. I was like a little kid. Uh, I mean, Crazy Legs is part of hip. I mean, he's a pioneer of hip hop. So to talk to him on the phone was like everything for me. Um, but you know, yeah. Um, only thing I wish I would have did differently is I wish I could have found more marketing savvy for that record. Hmm. And we may try to figure out a way to re-release it or do something because it needs to be heard. Can you talk to me about the the remix EP with uh, with John Robinson? Oh yeah, uh, you you know it's uh it's it's jazz. You mentioned it before, but you know jazz being a, such a great a great influence uh, for you. What is what is it that about jazz that kind of speaks to you as an artist, as a producer, and as an MC? Jazz is is to be honest with you, jazz is is very hip hop is similar to jazz. Because, I mean, real talk, um, it all comes from, you know, black people's expression. So hip hop and jazz are like, you know, father and son, you know, grandfather and, and grandson type of thing. So for me, putting those, mixing those two elements, it, it just, it, it only feels right. And, you know, we started doing that years ago, but, you know, it's not like we, we didn't invent it or nothing, but we just... It was kind of our ode to jazz, you know, me and uh, John Robinson, that first album. That's what that was about. Just our respect and love for jazz. And so we, we mixed it with hip hop. Hmm. What, what, yeah, John Robinson, I've spoken to him. I had an interview with him. I've, you know, I've seen him at some shows and mm-hmm. he, he, he seems like the most nicest person and chill and a genuine human being in Definitely. the entire world. Uh, when did you first meet John and um, what made you? As an artist, what made you want to work with him? I met John in Atlanta. 
um, in the physical, but I had known him through his music. Um, Kwali uh, introduced me to his music when we were um, like one of my early trips to New York in like 98. Um, he told me there's a record on Fondalum that you need to get. It's by a group called Science of Life, Powers mm-hmm. of Nine Ether. He was like, you have to have this. So I was in Fat Beats. I picked it up. Um, and his voice, I think for me, John, his voice is what always had me like, yeah. you know, and his vocal delivery. And he, I mean, he's still today one of my favorite MCs because of that voice and his, how he, how he flows, his delivery. So, um, that's that's kind of how that all came about when we met you know in in atlanta we knew we knew we were going to do some work so that was just you know i didn't know we'd end up writing a book and doing everything that we've done together but we've become brothers you know it's it's deeper than the music for me and john so yeah no he's uh i mean yeah you're right his voice is just like something that stands out you know just listen to any of his music that just stands out and then talk to him as well you're like your voice sounds amazing it really does (laughs) Um, you know, it, I feel like I've, I've I've obviously asked you so much about artists working with you in the studio, or what it's like working with artists, right? Um, but I haven't asked you about if what would artists say about you if they if I were to ask them what is it like to work with Jay Rawls in the studio? Oh wow! Uh, what do you think? Kind of what 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 makes you a unique uh, producer or artist to work with in studio? Kind of how do you feel that you are able to bring the best out of an artist? Um, I think because I give them a lot of freedom in the studio. I, I let the artists be who they are and I like to really build with artists. So hopefully, you know, that's what they would say that I, I give them the chance to be who they are um, and try to bring out, you know, a little something extra, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I enjoy working with a different variety of artists. I, I like working with rappers. I like working with instrumentalists, uh, you know, musicians. I like working with singers. It's just, it's all part of the game and it's enjoyable for me. How is this, I mean, we're in a pandemic now, you know, you're, you know, all doing this obviously all remotely. What, what has the, what have you, uh, what have you feel like you've learned about I mean, yourself as an artist kind of during this pandemic? Um, and what what kind of what are you what were you or have been able to work on uh, musically that maybe a pandemic would not have allowed you to do? Well, it's just giving me more chance to um, be creative. You know that that's what I've enjoyed. Um, you know, for me, I I try to balance being creative with the um, education because I'm still a teacher, so I'm writing syllabi and and doing work like that. So. Nothing has really changed in that fact other than, you know, most of it is online now, but, right. you know, still just working. So I, I get to be creative, you know, a little bit more. And I, and I haven't been totally not working with people. We've been working on the Liquid Crystal Project and we've been working together, you know, actually working. So that album, number, Liquid Crystal Project 4, is going to be crazy. But we're going to release a little EP called um, Blam, Black Lives Always Matter. Nice. Here awesome. soon, and um, it's it's. We're just gonna give you a little taste to get you ready for LCP four. When something like this is out, like when 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 Black Lives Matter is so prevalent right now, mm-hmm. and it should be spoke on as much as possible, uh, is there ever a conversation that, or do you, let's say, an artist doesn't do that, you know, doesn't do social issues, mm-hmm. uh, so to say, is there ever a conversation you're having with them that you try to get them to? 
write that just because no. you feel like it's a necessary, you know, it's, it's, it's the no. time to do so? No, no, no. Never. I never tell an artist what to write about. It, it's always got to come from their heart or it won't even work. It won't be right. It won't sound right. You know, that's why you choose what artists you work with. You know, that's just how it ends up being. Like, I don't have to tell an artist like Nova to write a song like on Brotherhood that came out of him. And the music that I gave him made him feel that way. And that's why he wrote those lyrics. So, you know, there, there's, you know, it depends on who you work with. Like, you just I'm not going to go pick a trap artist if that's not the kind of music I'm trying to make. You know, uh, you mentioned this uh, project with L, the sensei. Um, yeah. What is uh, what has been kind of what's the what's what do you feel is the the when it's done would be the what what would you say about your music with L? Uh, what do you think the message would be that it kind of sends to uh, the hip hop community? I mean, we're still we're still formulating it, so I don't quite know what message it'll have yet. But it's gonna it's gonna definitely represent boom bap. You know, when I think of L, I think of real hip hop, you know, artifacts, wrong side of the tracks. Everything he's done is that boom bap, that the original, like, this is what hip hop was. And, and that that's what it's going to be. He's the great uh, Jay Rawls. Uh, it's uh, been following his career forever. Uh, it's been an incredible experience to have this kind of opportunity to talk to you on the library with Tim Monaco. Thank you so much, man, for being here. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the time, the energy. Um, anybody want to contact me, it's at jrawls82. Um, you know, you got questions, info at polarentllc.com. And yeah, man, I appreciate the interview, Tim, man. You know, hold it down out there in Maryland, man. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. You too, man. All right. Thank you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.